seemed kind of magical as they were going through that it was just kind of destined for them. Anytime you have a last second shot, underdog, people are going to talk about Hoosiers. That just usually happens that way. You've really helped East uh, develop an identity uh, of its own. By the time, obviously, they got to the championship, the hype train was so on fire. as they make their way off the courts and to the benches for the official announcements and the national anthem coming up here in just a moment. Welcome back to 123 Wildcats. Thank you for following the story of the East Chapel Hill High School boys basketball team in 1996-97. This is episode 8, and coming up in episode 9 is a closer look at the opponent in the state championship game, Hickory High School. Episode 10 is all about the state championship game between the Red Tornadoes of Hickory and the Wildcats of East Chapel Hill. Hickory High at East Chapel Hill. It's the Wildcats of the Red Tornadoes. This episode is an attempt to put the East Chapel Hill run into some perspective. We called the episode Perspective, but it could have been called Wait, Hold Up, or They Did What Now? This episode is to point out just how much of an outlier East Chapel Hill was and is. A team that no one saw coming as a contender goes out and wins the state championship in Class 3A boys basketball in North Carolina. A team in which the oldest member of the starting lineup is 16 years, 8 months. That's Brad Woolley. A team that met its coach for the first time the previous summer at the Phillips Middle School gym. A team that played a small rotation. A team that won three playoff games during which... In the final 15 seconds, they either trailed or were tied. It wasn't just that they had no seniors. It was that beyond the four starting juniors, they were very young. East Chapel Hill obviously relied heavily on freshman center Chris Hobbs, but there was another player, also a freshman, who was very important, and that was sixth man Eric Henderson. On the court, he did some things like, you're like, man, how'd that kid do that? You know, so he had a little size to him, right? But he was shifty with the ball and could make guys look silly and really could could finish. He would come in and be that guy that would like, all of a sudden he'd get the ball in his hands and he'd cross the guy up and then hit another dude with a spin move and finish in the lane and it was funny because you know obviously we practiced with him every day and things like that but there would be sometimes in games would be like man where did that come from he just he was a gamer where he would come in and just do natural instinct moves where you hadn't really seen it before he accepted his role like he 
you know, he played decent minutes. He got shuffled around in all kinds of different spots depending on who was in foul trouble or tired or whatever. Your game that year, if you can recall it, how would you describe it? It's hard to imagine this because it's certainly not like that now, but I was really good at uh, beating the defender. Uh, you know, so they would basically, we would run an offense called, I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically give me the ball and let me go one-on-one. And I had a way to just break down the defender and, you know, get to the rack. He would come in and he would play the point and he could play two-man, the three-man. He was great to have as a as a kid that you could just come in and really you could almost clear out for him. And this freshman would just take anybody that was out on the court. Think about it this way. You're a freshman in high school. You're 14 years old, playing on the varsity team. Your first year in high school, your team is good. Your team is so good, it gets to the state championship. In that state championship, in the Dean Smith Center in your hometown, your coach is calling ISO plays for you, the freshman off the bench. As Andy Jones said, Eric Henderson was a gamer. He made several very important plays in the state championship game. He scored the last basket of the first quarter for East Chapel Hill on an ISO play. I remember Eric immediately got in there and started playing amazing. I think he did like a a fake pass. He drove and like fake passed it and then scored. I was getting hyped, man. And then early in the fourth quarter, the Wildcats again ran a clear out play for a freshman guard in the state championship game. Eric Henderson took a few dribbles, spun to throw off his man, drew the defenders of other Wildcats, and then found Brad Woolley open for about a baseline five-footer bucket. And here comes the dribble toward the bucket. The shot's up, and it's good. Woolley scores. 49-43. East Chapel Hill takes the lead with 7.20 left in the basketball game. So Eric Henderson took one shot in the game. He made it. He had an assist. He also had a steal near the end of the first quarter, just after his basket. Now, when it was Eric's turn to be a starter, his junior and senior years, he took full advantage. He showed his ability to score. His last high school game was memorable. It was an overtime playoff loss to state power Greensboro Dudley. Eric Henderson had 37 points. I mentioned this in earlier episodes. He could have played in college. He was uh, drawing recruiting interest. He elected to turn down the chance to play smaller college ball and attended uh, UNC, where he played on the JV team. Again, Eric Henderson and Chris Hobbs were talented players, college-level players, but they were freshmen in high school making those key contributions. Freshman year of high school can be tough on a lot of people, but those guys were making it look easy. And not just for them, but really for the whole team. Think about it. The week between the White Oak game and the Hickory game, how do you stay focused on schoolwork or anything else but getting ready to play in the state championship in the Dean Dome? I think that whole week leading up to it was, I don't know, it was pretty crazy. I mean, obviously that dominated everything (laughs) for us, you know, as far as like our focus. There you heard from Avery Stites of East Chapel Hill. So they're going to the state championship that week. In the middle of the week, some of the players, not all of them, but Paul Kendom was one, got to shake hands and talk with members of UNC's 1957 national championship team, including Lenny Rosenbluth. 
and then they go and play in the state championship game. It was pretty heady stuff for a bunch of guys, some of whom had just gotten their driver's licenses. Do you know how rare this accomplishment is in high school basketball? It's incredible. It's unfathomable. And in my research, I haven't really found a school that's similar. A few that I've looked up and am familiar with, to give you an example, Apex Friendship High School in Wake County. First two years of varsity, they went 1-43. and They did not win a game their first season. They won one game and lost 23 their second. That team did not beat a school its size until its third season of varsity play. The Apex Friendship Girls went 0-19 their first season. Now they steadily built from seven wins the second season, 17, then 18, then 24-3 and last season under coach Scott Campbell. I don't think I ever got impatient. It was a little frustrating for them at times, but in the big picture, it was a lot of fun. We never had a running clock score, so we never got beat by 40-plus that first year, and our boys got beat by 40-plus almost every time. My approach from day one was, hey, this is about the long haul, and we're going to do some things that are going to be staples of our program. You may not see the results right off the bat. Trust. Trust in each other. Trust in me. It will be so much fun in another year or two when you start to reap the rewards of this work. But it is going to be hard. Green Level High School, another Wake County school, their coach, John Green. John Green was a player against East Chapel Hill in the state playoffs. Now he's trying to win his first game as a varsity coach at the new Green Level High School. Green Level opened with two grades, and their boys' basketball team went 0-25. Certainly a different story than the East Chapel Hill story. Yes, two grades is different than three, and clearly East Chapel Hill had some things go its way. But East Chapel Hill didn't go like 6 and 15, or even 11 and 12. East Chapel Hill went 24 and 5. That's unprecedented. Oh, absolutely. With having three grades, it it is something. I mean, you you certainly have to have talent to win some games. Coaches can't just out-coach their way and win a bunch of games like they did. So they had talent. They had guys coming in, which was great. But to be able to come in, blend it all together so quick, it's incredibly hard. John Green isn't a totally new coach. Before starting the program at Green Level, he was the successful coach at Green Hope, which is just up the road from Green Level. It was as the coach at Green Hope that he got to know Ray Hartsfield, who regularly took East Chapel Hill teams to Green Hope's preseason jamboree. Green, of course, has personal knowledge of the Wildcats' history, but when we spoke last summer, he said that he had kept that first-year success story to himself. I don't think I've used that example because that is certainly the extreme with my group. Uh, We're so far away from a state championship or even, you know, we're just trying to get basically our first win in program history. At East Chapel Hill, the state championship in 1997 gave the student body an immediate rallying point. It was a we did this moment that they all could embrace. It's difficult to start a new school, uh, particularly with no seniors, uh, no traditions, and uh, certainly you've uh, laid a wonderful foundation for that. There you heard Neil Peterson, then the superintendent of Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools, at a school board meeting. The Wildcats' win also served as a sort of opening of the floodgates 
of state titles for East Chapel Hill in several sports. The wall that was once empty in the East Chapel Hill gym on the side nearest the home team bench is now awash in state championship banners. In the 97-98 school year, the first time East Chapel Hill had a graduating class, the Wildcats won three NCHSAA championships. One of those was in girls' soccer. Girls' soccer is a spring sport, and that girls' team in May 1997 made it all the way to the state semifinals. The next season, they beat the team they had lost to the previous year, Southwest Guilford, on the way to winning the 1998 state title. Here's the goalie from those teams, Becky Wassel. Realistically, as a new school, anybody's going to think there's not going to be a huge percentage chance that we're going to win a championship anytime soon just because we are a new school. Part of the advantage that we had was the fact that I think there were at least seven or eight of us who were all playing club ball together. So that really helped having our confidence a bit higher than normal. Seeing the men's basketball team, you know, seeing that it is possible for first-year teams to win championships, and then for us to go to the semifinals, I think that gave us even a bit more motivation and confidence that, you know, yeah, we can do this as a new school. Do you feel kind of like, hey, I was a part of that success. I helped set the standard. I would like to think so, yeah. Um, I would like to think that me being a part of the first graduating class and one of the, well, the first soccer team to win a championship, that I was able to help with that type of legacy at that school. She also reminded me that it wasn't just in boys basketball that other athletes got opportunities to play at new schools. Becky Wassel at Chapel Hill High had been the starting goalie her freshman year for the Tigers. Another player moved in, and her sophomore year, she was not the main goalie. So the opening of East Chapel Hill before her junior year presented her a great opportunity. By the time East Chapel Hill qualified for the boys' basketball state championship game in 1997, Tim Stevens was in his fourth decade covering high school sports for the Raleigh News and Observer. He can make comparisons to other eras or other teams like no one else, really, who's followed high schools in this state. You've heard his voice several times already in previous episodes, but I'm going to take the time now to say that I was honored to have him be part of this podcast. of Ray's past and, and you talk about discipline and sharing the basketball and playing as a team trying to win with defense all those things kind of come to mind when I think about that team and, and you know everybody says talk about Cinderella and say, ah, no, they, were, they were nice players they were good players it was just such a new school it was almost like out of a movie or something you know When you're seeking perspective, 
on a story that seems just unbelievable, who do you go to? Maybe you go to someone who makes movies. Remember in the first episode, I made mention of Hinkle Fieldhouse used to be the site of the Indiana State Championships and how Indiana high school basketball is so legendary that they have made movies about it, or at least a movie about it, Hoosiers. Well, I talked to the creator of Hoosiers to get his opinion of the East Chapel Hill story and what makes it special, how it might be similar to the Hoosiers story, and how it might be different. Yeah, I mean, listen, anytime you have a last-second shot, smaller team, and underdog, people are going to talk about Hoosiers. That just usually happens that way. That was Angelo Pizzo, who, along with his Indiana University friend, David Anspa, created the movie Hoosiers. For those not familiar, the movie was released widely in 1986. It starred Gene Hackman, Dennis Hopper, and Barbara Hershey, And it is a fictionalized version of the 1954 state championship won by Tiny Milan High School. Although the film's underdog team is in an odd twist named Hickory, the movie's story does have parallels to the East Chapel Hill story, I think. For one, it does end on a last-second shot in a college arena, both the movie version and the actual Milan ending. It was Jimmy Chitwood who hit the shot in the movie, and Bobby Plump, who hit the shot for Milan. Two. Well, on this one, I'm going to leave it to you to Google. Search Jimmy Chitwood Jersey. And get back to me, East Temple Hill fans, on why that number might just mean something to you. Pizzo and I talked about why he chose the Milan story. Quick version, he chose it because he thought it was going to be good. And then he started interviewing the players and the coach. And he found it to be too vanilla, too boring. As it turns out, the project almost never happened. Three years of rejection. And, and we finally found uh, a person to finance the film. So the film gets made, and it was, and we we made it by the skin of our teeth. The studio wasn't going to release it, Orion. Then we tested through the roof. They reluctantly decided to open it up only in Indiana. And if we didn't do well in Indiana, they were going to pull it. Of course, we did well in Indiana. Not of course, but we did do well. And then we got the splash that we did when we opened nationally. It was great to get Angelo Pizzo's perspective this fall. I even sent him the YouTube trailer and had him take a look at it while on the phone with me. I guess you could say I badgered him a little bit, but he was giving of his time. They look a lot more athletic than uh, than our guys. They're pretty good basketball, good shooters. He remembers following Indiana high school basketball when there was just a single classification tournament and upwards of 700 high schools started with sectional play to determine one state champion. When every little tiny town in southern Indiana where I live had their own team, and we're talking about high schools the size of Milan, which had, you know, 56 boys. And there were smaller high schools than that around here. So when there was a sectional radius of about 20 or 30 miles, there were 17 teams. 
in that same, and they had the phenomenal home gym in Martinsville, where John Wooden grew up, that held uh, 5,000. The town was 3,000. That's one of the reasons I started to think, when you have an arena, a gymnasium, that's bigger, a larger population than the town itself, it means it's pretty damn important. Obviously, things are different now. Angelo Pizzo still recalls the good old days, but he can appreciate a good underdog story any day. I wanted to see it go in. I mentioned the Wake County examples of Apex Friendship High School and Green Level High School. There's another example of a school outside of Winston-Salem. The first year that Reagan High School was open, there had to be at least some excitement because their basketball coach was Howard West. Howard West won three consecutive state titles at Reynolds High School in Winston-Salem in the early 2000s. And he started the program at Reagan with three grades playing in a 3A conference. That first team coached by Howard West at Reagan went 1-24. We didn't have a kid with any, and I mean any, of varsity experience. None of them had ever had even varsity practice then, so, so it wasn't their fault that we went 1-24. I talked to Howard West about those early days starting the program with the Raiders and how the expectations just had to be adjusted immediately, even for a coach who was so accustomed to success. We were playing in the Piedmont Triad 3A, which at the time had Carver, Glenn, Southwest Gilbert, Andrews, and Parkland. At that time, they had athletes coming out of the pores. You said something about changing your goals. Well, you know, during that season, I had I had to change my own expectations because, you know, I was used to 24, 25 wins a year at Reynolds and being in the hunt for, for the championship. And now here I was, you know, looking for a win. I told Jeff Ober, be my assistant, these kids are not going to win 20 games. <laughs> They're not going to win 15. They may not even win five. I said, so let's start resetting our goals to something that's more attainable. And that is, you know, having a lead at the end of the first quarter or at halftime or at the end of three quarters. Those would be major accomplishments compared to what we were doing. Then things became a little bit more enjoyable. You know, losing for me has never been all that much fun, but it at least gave them or gave me and him something to go into the locker room and say, hey, you know, we've got to be getting better. Here we are. We were only four down or five down with three minutes to go or four minutes to go, whatever. We may have lost by 15, but it was something for them to hang their hat on when they went home. Reagan High School basketball didn't struggle for long. In several years, they were back up above that 20-win plateau. And next year, we go 8-17, and 17 and we'll make safe playoffs. The next year, we won 16, and then the next year, we won 22, and then I think the next year was 26. It was 26. Well, I mean, we started it with in the basement, so to speak, but we built it, you know, we built it. The same has happened at Apex Friendship. I mentioned their girls' basketball team and the success that Coach Scott Campbell has had with his program. The boys' program also is now successful. The principal at Apex Friendship is actually a former coach himself. He's a guy who started a high school program once. Matt White, now the friendship principal, started the girls' soccer program 
at Hoggard High School in Wilmington. We tried not to stress wins and losses because we were going to be playing against some established schools and people who played interscholastic. And um, there is a there is a big difference between playing club ball and playing schools. The main difference being that in, in club soccer, you're playing against kids your same age, and so there's usually not a lot of uh, difference physically. You know, most teams would, you know, you build up through the years of um, developing your kids to, to win their seniors. Matt White said it doesn't matter what type of program you're starting. There's one thing that is more important than anything else in ensuring a program is going to be successful. One thing that I've learned, and it's true not only in, in athletics, but it's true in the arts and also in the academic piece, and that is the most important thing is the coach. You make a good hire, then you will see the program grow and you'll see the kids and parents will stay in the program, they'll develop, um, you'll get a lot of traction. And for the most part, starting off, we were very, very fortunate in that we hired quality people and we had the same vision as they did I've gone into these examples from other schools with overall successful programs for a reason. They were expecting to build strong teams, but they had little indication after their first seasons that it would actually happen. That's what makes East Chapel Hill's story incomparable, almost too good to be true. Almost. I found documents that made me seriously doubt that East Chapel Hill was the first first year boys basketball team in North Carolina to win a state championship. I looked at the NCHSAA list of state champions and noticed that early on, oh, some background on the NCHSAA, their first state championship was held in 1913. Basketball was first a championship sport in 1915. In those early years, there was just one classification of school, and one stood out to me. Most of the places were legitimate cities, Winston-Salem, Durham, Wilmington. Chapel Hill, by the way, won the 1921 Open Classification Boys State Championship, followed by Greensboro in 1922, Asheville in 1923, and then in 1924, Reedsville won the state championship. That one struck me a little, one, because Reedsville is smaller than most of those other places. I decided to look up Reedsville High School, and again, it said they won the 1924 state championship. I found a document that said that Reedsville High School opened in September of 1923. And I kept looking around and said, oh my gosh, I think Reedsville might have had a state championship basketball team the first year of the school. Well, it turned out that Reedsville had been a high school for many years before that. It was just a new building that opened in September 1923. I found yearbooks for Reedsville High School that have been uploaded digitally. I did find a picture of the state championship basketball team in the 1924 Reedsville yearbook. All of the members of that state championship team were seniors. Trivia, last week's question was, about what conference East Chapel Hill competed in during the 97-98 school year. 
The answer is the Triad 3A Conference. The first year, East Chapel Hill was in the Crescent Conference with schools east of them. In the second year, they went north and west to play in the Triad 3A. This week's question. I mentioned in Episode 7 that in the state semifinals against Jacksonville White Oak, East Chapel Hill shot 75% in the second half. They took 20 shots from the floor in that half, making 15. Of those 20 field goal attempts, how many were three-pointers? That's this week's question. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or call the Wildcats hotline with your answer. 919-867-1319. If you were at the state championship game March 22nd, 1997, we'd love to hear your recollection of that night. Again, 919-867-1319. Thanks for listening. Episode 9 is again about the Hickory Red Tornadoes, the opponent in the state championship game. What was his name? He was really good. Yeah, Daniel Willis. Daniel Willis. Oh yeah, I remember he I remember him lighting us up, that was for sure. You can hear that next week on One, two, One, three, five. Perspective. Perspective. Oh man, I forgot to do my weekly shout out to B Fitz. Here's David Shook, his UNCG roommate, to do the honors. He should be good. He had the, the two turntables and a microphone in our room in college. They did what now? Perspective. Perspective. And it's interesting, Frank Snyder said Daniel Willis was going to be one of the keys to this ball game.